Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. You can't handle the truth. Hey, everybody. This is your good friend, Dr. David Proden, down here from the North Star Recording Studio. And it looks like I need to adjust the lighting just a little bit here. Turn it up, I guess. And All right. Got some new lighting. There we go. Whoa. All right. I don't know. Looks good. All right. Um, today's show, we're going to talk about special education. So if you are a parent, if you're a teacher, if you're a taxpayer, this is going to be relevant to you. And just the whole process of how um, schools are planning for this fall, but especially in the area of special education, pupil services, 7 million students, how they will be impacted, how their parents, how their families will be impacted. If you are the parent of a child with a disability, reserving receiving services through an IEP, Individualized Education Plan. You want to watch this, take some notes. It's going to be critical stuff. So let me touch base on a few things around here with my setup. Um, first of all, in front of me, I do have three monitors. I have the main monitor, which is me, right? On the left are my show notes. Those also then get put into a a blog post on the right is an open browser. So as you see me kind of looking around, that's what I have. I also have a few overlays for the show uh, put together, and I'll be accessing those um, also through the program Camtasia. Yeah, it's not the best for this type of stuff, but it's what I have right now. So we'll be stepping through some of those things. Um, I'm going to monitor the chat on the right-hand side. I'm also going to respond to the chat. So if you can subscribe to this channel. I'd appreciate it. We're up to 155 subscribers here for the Safety Doc podcast. Um, so I have 130, this is episode 134. So we have a lot of quality content out there, a lot of guest interviews. In episode 135, we'll have a Bacon Maldito on, our good friend Bacon Maldito will be on the show. I'm on Twitter at SafetyPhD. You can check me out there. And um, here is my book, all right? Here's my book, School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America. It is a hard copy available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, places that sell books. Uh, 200 pages, you can you know read it in a couple of nights. A lot of stories in it, a lot of interviews. So it's very entertaining to read, but it's really about chaos theory, how we enter chaos, how we negotiate chaos, and pointers on how to do that. I worked with Dr. Paul Rapp, head of military, Terry Medicine and putting this book together. You're going to find a lot of good stuff. So it's out there. It's also in a lot of libraries. I'm going to give a shout out here to some of the libraries that have my book. But yeah, School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America. If you read it, if you feel compelled to leave a review on Amazon, thank you. Um, so some libraries uh, that have my book, Heinz Community College in Raymond, Missouri. Thank you to Heinz Community College. Uh, Denver Public Library, of course, Denver, Colorado, to our good friends there. Thank you. Dallas Public Library. 
The trifecta out of Texas, Amarillo Public Library. Also, um, Fort Bend County Library, Texas. Texas. Thank you very much, Texas. Um, the University of Central Florida, Orlando, Florida. University of Alberta at Edmonton, Alberta. University of Nevada, Las Vegas. The Running Rebels, folks. University of Nevada, Las Vegas in Las Vegas, Nevada. And the American Jewish University in Los Angeles, California, all have School of Airs in their libraries, um, including hundreds of more libraries all across the world, including Squamish up in British Columbia. But yeah, a few shout outs to libraries that have School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America. So face validity, um, people. <laughs> so our, our Walmart, our, where I live here, our Walmart, they put down on the floor, you know, you can only go down this aisle this way and, uh, you know, that that type of stuff, right? But the thing is, it's it, first of all, everybody ignores it because they, they just, they don't pay attention. It's not very, it's not overt, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't come out there. Um, it's Bacon Maldito in the chat. Bacon, um, is the audio coming through good? I know the one episode is a few episodes ago, I was redoing some of the stuff and I think I had a loose mic cable and I didn't pick up. I, I didn't do, I didn't do a drag off the off the audio, but um, I had a little bit of static. Everything should be coming through. Bacon Maldito, who will be the guest on episode one thirty five of the Safety Doc Podcast. Our good friend Bacon Maldito. So yeah, at our Walmart, it's just it's kind of people realize when they get partially down an aisle and they start to see some people coming toward them. They're like, oh, was I supposed to go this way or supposed to go the other way? <laughs> so it's it's funny, right? It's just funny. Um, and it's not intuitive. So you think if you go up this aisle, the next aisle over, you'd come down, but it's not that way. It might be like two aisles that you go down and then the next two aisles over, you can come up or two, three aisles. It has a, it's a, you can't figure it out, right? It's, you have to decode it. So, um, I don't know how long that stuff will be in place. The one way stuff on an aisle, because it's just, unless they significantly change it, um, which I don't know how they would go about doing that. It's, it's just kind of ridiculous at this point. So no face mask yet at my Walmart. And, you know, considering we're into this um, now quite a ways, I would be pretty surprised to see a decree that, hey, you have to wear Walmart, uh, you know, face masks here. So, um, yeah, bacon goes the wrong way in those in those lines intentionally. Um, so, yeah, I've been seeing, you know, more stuff is, is back in stock. Uh, you know, so that stuff is all good. Um, Otherwise, I did a 40-mile bike ride uh, a few days ago. So it was it was beautiful. A week ago, it was 75 degrees and sunny here. My daughter, my youngest daughter, and I went to a field. It's a few acres in back of the hospital in our hometown here. And uh, she was flying a kite. You know, it was like 20-mile-an-hour winds. Perfect. But uh, a couple days ago, I did a bike ride. It was like 65. And it was cloudy, actually. But um, nice day. Nice day to be out. 40 miles. Felt good first really like long ride of the year. And I'll do like 80, hundred miles, you know, once I, once I get conditioned a little bit, but I, th I thought for sure I'd be sore. Felt pretty good. Um, we will receive snow tonight. Yeah, it is May 10th. This will be the latest snow in the last 15 years, but we're going to have snow coming in in the next few hours. It'll be gone by morning, but uh, yeah, freeze warning, snow, all of that. Um, it's really been a long spring. So let me tell you about an interaction I had with my neighbor and uh, give me your take on this down in the comments. All right. This show is brought to you by um, Ice-T. 
All right. So here's the deal. Um, so I'm outside talking to my neighbor. My neighbor's like, hey, the this flag, this yard, yard flag, small yard flag is is gone. It was like, you know, it's up by our house. And and uh, so did it blow away? Did it go into your yard? And I'm like, yeah, I don't think, no, it didn't. Well, you know, can you check? I'm like, sure, I'll check. I mean, I'm up on a hill and you're down here. And usually that's not the way things would, would happen. Like it would come up by me. It would go down further in the neighborhood. But yeah, I'll check. But long conversation. Yeah, it was really determined that this flag was somewhere on my property. And I'm like, I don't have it. And if I if it, if it was here, you can have it back. I'm not keeping this flag. And what do you do? Like if you steal a, flag, a yard flag some, from someone, are you going to display it then? <laughs> Wouldn't they come over and say, well, that's my flag. I mean, so I don't, it was just a really, it was a really strange conversation because I, I like I said, I went out and I looked for this flag and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere. And it's one of those things, you know, someone like I lost my keys. Well, what do they look like? Well, they look just like keys, right? They look like keys that it was, you know, so she's describing this flag to me. Well, it has like, it has like pink flowers up here and whatever. I'm like, I'm pretty sure like if I find a flag in my yard, I'll just bring it down and just ask you if this is your flag. If there's like five flags in my yard, I'll bring all five down. And you can pick out the ones yours or if there's more than one, I don't really care, but it's just, it was just weird. It was weird. Like I felt a little bit, I don't think I was being accused of taking a flag because I'm not the kind of guy who would steal a flag, but, um, but it, it, it was, it was a weird conversation. It, it just was really weird. So I don't know. I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to, to process through that because it literally was like a 20, 30 minute conversation. So uh, David B is in the room. Hey, David, uh, tell him that it was the loose convicts who took it. Oh, God, yes. You must have listened to one of the earlier shows when we had the loose convicts here who escaped. And th they've suspended like three of the top folks at the prison now. Um, and apparently it was uh, somebody in the kitchen was helping out in that. So it was an inside deal between the staff and uh, and the two escaped convicts who they did apprehend a day later. But yeah, crazy crazy stuff so anyway yeah snow tonight what the hell what the hell's going on with that i'm not a big fan not a big fan of that whatsoever so um i grew up in northern wisconsin so it wasn't uncommon to get snow this time of year um but in southern wisconsin it is pretty annoying so so today um you know stay with me on this because i've got some slides of, i've got some really interesting descriptions to give you the inside perspective of how schools so 55 million kids attend school every day, right? 7 million kids have disabilities um, as identified by the Individuals with Disability Education Act. So we're going to talk today, or I'm going to talk. I don't know. You could be talking. I'm not listening. I'm not ignoring you. It's just I don't have the setup here to listen to you guys. I can see in the chat the one, Juan Cabrera, our good friend. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Juan. Um, so yeah, let me give you a little background on, on why I'm qualified to talk about this topic, right? I was a special education director for 15 years, a school administrator for 15 years, worked uh, with students with disabilities for 25 years, teach university classes for aspiring directors of special education, teach uh, superintendent legal issues at the university level. So like I know this stuff, right? Um, it's It's been a, a large part of my career. I've written about it. So, you know, I, I can tell you how this is this is setting up. So the the question, I guess, for today is, is special education dead. So special education, again, 7 million students 
with disabilities served through special education. So I'm going to peel back the layers and, and kind of give you some of the perspective of how schools are, are preparing right now for the upcoming year. And my friends who are school administrators, some of the wild stories they're sharing with me of, of how they're getting guidance or not getting guidance or just having to cowboy stuff because they're not getting a, enough leadership from the state. So we're, we're going to go through that. I'll tell you some of the stuff that I did. I did some of the, you know, the cowboying you have to do in this position, uh, which I, I'm retired. I don't have that anymore. But um, so anyway, special ed dead. And I'm going to go through five points on that and, and come to a conclusion that it's really going to be a challenge to have special education return this fall uh, anywhere where it was similar in that we might have the seeds sown to uh, make an argument to dismiss uh, individuals with Dis Disabilities Education Act. Now, I'm not taking a position for or against this, right? Um, I'm not doing that. I'm being very direct. I'm a realist. That's what I am. I'm a realist. I'm giving you the information. We'll step through it. I'll give you both sides of, of the coin. I'm not asking to have special education, you know, abolished or any anything like that. But I want you to be very informed of what this looks like, especially if you're a parent or, you know, you have uh, friends, relatives, family members, students, kids with disabilities are receiving services from the school. What this is probably going to look like this year, maybe in the future for them, it's going to have some big life impacts. So, um, all right. So I, I, let me, let me take you back to the late 1970s, but first of all, all right, a lot of wetting the whistle here. Ah, all right. Okay. The late 1970s, I'm in elementary school and the elementary school that I attended was a hundred years old back then. Right. So the original, original part, and then it had been added onto, but really old building, they tore it down after I graduated eighth grade. But so one day we're up on the third story of this big brick building and we look out and they're pulling up this yellow mobile home and they put it in back of the building by the back door. Okay. So again, this is like 1978, 79, this yellow mobile home, all yellow pulls up, they plop it there. And, and we didn't have any idea, no sign on it, no nothing. Like my classmates and I were like, what's the deal with the yellow building out there? Like, what's that all about? Why is that there? Well, it turns out, you know, late seventies. So this is when the Individuals with Disability Education Act, well, previous names before that, but this is basically when students with disabilities um, formally received education, special education services in schools. 1975 legislation was passed. It was late seventies. These programs got put into place. So, Anyway, we see the yellow building, and here's here's what started to happen. So my friend John, okay, my friend John, um, pretty soon John would be out of class for a while. We had no idea. We had no idea. Um, hey, it's Bacon Maldito. Bacon, the gang is filling in. Yeah. So we had no idea that um, what was happening. John was gone. Some other students just gone, and then they come back a little bit later. But anyway, I remember we'd come back from gym class. Instead of going to class, John would kind of work his way through this big meandering building and we didn't know where he went, but apparently he went out to this building, which is where special education services were. They were a location at that time. So he went out to the building. So John went out there and about 40 minutes later, he would come back and he, he would give me these awesome stickers. They were the best stickers I ever saw. So I don't know, you know, maybe what, like, you know, second, third grade, whatever. And, um, so he gives me these, these stickers and it was pretty cool to get these stickers. But so he got these, like when he went out to the special education room, um, we also, 
had a student, uh, Mike. Mike was an eighth grader. So Mike had a uh, fragile bone disease. And I remember um, you know, Mike was was maybe, you know, he was always in a wheelchair, but maybe at, at most, you know, three, three and a half foot, you know, tall would, would be his size. But he, he commanded a lot of respect. So we had this big playground and it kind of went down this hill. This, imagine this hundred year old building that was built on a hill in this kind of small city. And then, you know, Mike would still be up by the door and he'd have like a leather jacket on. And if Mike told you like to get down and do 10 pushups, you would like, he just had that presence. But he's, he's a really cool guy. Um, you know, we, so we had, we had students, um, you know, that cerebral palsy, other students uh, with disabilities are starting to, to be served in special education in the, in the yellow building, but they weren't in our classroom. So, um, so that's how I remember it growing up. It was always this, this building, never really knew much, much about it. Um, later in my career, it wasn't too long ago, I was actually working um, for the Wisconsin School for the Blind. So yeah, I worked for the School for the Blind. When I, when I got hired there, okay, um, a, a lot of relatives said, is it, is it like a sad place to work? Is it, is it, is it, how do you feel working there? And I said, actually, it's not sad at all. It doesn't, you know, because you, you might have this misconception to be sad. It wasn't. Um, and they have dorms, right? So that you have boys in one dorm and then girls in another dorm. And it's this, this whole campus with a, you know, gym, auditorium, pool. Everything's connected. Everything indoors, especially in Wisconsin. You know how important that is in winter. Um, but, okay, so we think about this. Um, it's not an inclusive place, though, if you think about inclusivity as far as students without disabilities being with students with disabilities. Because if you were there, you had a visual disability. Um, and usually comorbid other disabilities might be vision plus autism, vision plus other things. Um, but so there were no students without disabilities in this in this school. And let me tell you about uh, transportation. So on on Sunday, students would would be brought in by bus, or they'd fly them in. They'd take planes. So in in parts of the state, the far northern parts of the state, they would fly kids in, and um, and then Friday afternoon they would fly kids back home. So it was it was pretty wild to think about that. Every week, these kids flying in and out, staying in their dorms. But these places, School for the Blind, School for the Deaf, which are all centered in one place and you have dorms, how do you make those work in this upcoming year of social distancing, right? How do you make that, how do you, how do you make that happen? So um, it's just crazy. So let me, let me tell you the story um, about, uh, so there, there was, <laughs> there was a kid, all right, high school kid, his name's Randy. And so Randy's uh, attending the school for the blind when I, I was there again a couple of years ago. So he would always he'd come down and he'd be like, um, "Hey, you know, um, Mr. P, can I go in the in the staff lounge and, and grab a, a grab a Pepsi or something like that?" And so you could do that, right? As as a kid, if you had um, an adult with you, you could do that. Otherwise, they had like a place that the kids could could get stuff. But so he would always he pull out change. And then he'd always have me look over the change because he'd be like, if it's, you know, like a 1960s or earlier coin, just let, you know, I'll keep it and give you a different coin. He's kind of in the coin collection, but he was a funny guy. Um, so anyway, Tom's, not Tom, uh, Randy, Randy's doing this, um, giving me, giving me change to look over, give back to him. And yeah, here's the year 1984. You can put that one and get it through the machine. So it was funny though, because, um, 
because yeah, Tom would always gr grab like a Pepsi and like a Snickers and, and stuff like that. But one day, one day. So, so again, Tom, um, Tom said, Hey, can you, can you help me out? I have, uh, uh so anyway, full context, um, uh, this kid is, this kid is, uh, you know, in a 18 years old, right. So you can be in school till you're, you're 21 if you have a disability. So he says to me, um, Hey, I have a dating app on my, my phone. Um, can you help me complete the profile? Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> what app is it? And it was, it was an appropriate app, right? It wasn't like, you know, it, anyway, it was, it was an appropriate app. He's an adult, but he, it, there's no user interface. He can't see this thing. So he's like, I, so I'm like, okay, it's asking, you know, how you describe yourself, you know, like fit, you know, stocky, whatever it is. And, and we're getting through some of these things. What are your political beliefs, religion, stuff like that. So just, I'm giving you the options, helping him complete this, this app thing. And, and then, um, so I got that done and just said, you know, from now on, if you can have your parents or some of your friends kind of, you know, help you out with, with this stuff, that'd be, that'd be great. Cause it's, you know, but so a week later, he comes in and he's like, Hey, I've got a number of responses on my app. <laughs> so he, so he said, would you mind like looking and telling me if this is somebody I should, <laughs> I should express interest in? And I said, I can't do that, man. <laughs> I said, I can't do that. I, I you know, you're going to have to ask your friends, but so part of it is your friends not only have vision loss or are blind, but they're probably going to um, have a little bit of fun with you on this stuff. So, so just, uh, find somebody you can, can, uh, trust a good member check on that and can get some feedback. So a few things here. Um, one is if you can smash that like button, I would appreciate it. If you're not following the show, get up there, please follow the safety doc podcast. I am on Twitter at safety PhD, but yeah, if you can smash the, the like button or seven up there already, I appreciate that a whole bunch. Um, let me go over, excuse me to the chat. Restaurants here are having 45-minute waits, kicking them off my platform left. Oh, my goodness. Um, bacon. Yeah. Wow. Doing a live broadcast on Mother's Day is a sure way to, to get divorced to my mom. <laughs> so, yeah. So we, we did all of our Mother's Day uh, celebrating already today. And now, apparently, it's the live uh, Disney performance that's going on, which um, my wife and kids are watching upstairs. So I'm thinking anybody who's over here in the chat room, um, you weren't going to be watching that tonight. Any, <laughs> anyway, I'm not, I'm not into all of that live Disney show type of stuff. Um, pretty funny. So I thought it was safe. I thought it was safe in doing it, uh, doing, doing the show tonight. So, um, so anyway, let's, let's get over here to, um, some advice for parents right off the bat. So again, I, I was a special education director, so if you are a parent of a child with a disability, okay, so again, 7 million children have disabilities are served in our schools. A few things right now, be familiar with your child's IP, your individualized education plan, the plan that the school had put together, the services that your kid was receiving prior to the shutdown of in-person school, and be aware of the services and the frequency and amount, okay, and then start to chart that out. Just have a notebook. So every time the school contacts you, they're providing you with, with things to, to do with the, you know, your, your, your son or daughter, um, document that. 
Um, and understand that a service, okay, so your child was supposed to get, you know, 30 minutes a week of speech language therapy for articulation, pronouncing T's, S's, Z's, things like that. Um, so if, if a, you know, therapist is just checking in with you, sending an email or giving a call or a little Zoom, hey, how are things going today? Okay, that's not a service. That's just a check-in. And there are a lot of schools right now who are doing this, this kind of follow-up check-in type stuff, and it's not a service. So you want to document all of this stuff. Um, I'll tell you why in just a moment. So again, and a service is not a packet of work mailed to a student. And some people have told me that's been happening. Hey, our district just sent me this packet of stuff for the next two weeks that I'm supposed to do with my son or daughter and then submit it back. Um, so yeah, that's not a service. That's basically now you are teaching your child, right? Um, so what happens is some parents in, in the past, some parents have sought outside services saying, hey, the school's not meeting my child's IP services. So I'm going to, okay, I am going to meet um, with an outside provider. And, you know, there's like a community speech language therapist or occupational therapist, whatever. And my, I'm going to have my child receive services there because the school's not meeting these services. And then sometimes those parents come back and they they submit a bill to the school. Hey, school, you owe me this much because my insurance wasn't reimbursing me for this or here's my time for mileage and all of that. So in the past, some of those cases have actually prevailed when parents have taken that back to schools and then schools have said, well, we're not going to pay you for it. Um, so I think right now we're going to see that coming in the following year. So when services aren't being met by the schools, the parents are going to find providers. Uh, they're going to then uh, work directly with these outside providers and then build to the schools. I think we're going to see some of that going on. But anyway, for parents, it's very important to document what is happening right now because um, this uh, the Department of Ed, Betsy DeVos, has said, we're not doing a waiver for special education services. So what your child was entitled to in their IEP, they're still entitled to, even if schools shut down, it's can call, call compensatory ed. This, the school still has to make right on those services. So keep a running log because things get conflated, like things get conflated. Um, I don't know when the school contacted me. And they don't believe that the school is going to keep the records. I'm not saying is an adversarial position that they won't, but I'm just saying there's a lot of school administrator friends I have who've said, Dave, like right now, we're not really sure who's been contacting parents, what the frequency has been. Um, we're just putting systems in place right now through like a Google sheet to track that or something, a, a shared Google doc. No, as a parent, you want to document and say, here's what I was entitled through the IEP. Here's the services child was supposed to get. We haven't received this. So then when it comes to the point of saying, school, this is what you need to make right. You have that objectively put together. Looking over in the chat room, um, greetings from the murder hornet capital of the U.S. Bacon. Yes, Washington State. Disheartening bacon because we all know that T.J. Martinell hikes, and I'm very afraid he's going to come across some of these murder hornets, and that'll be the end of him. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy, crazy stuff. In in Wisconsin here, it's like um, it's it's the carp. Like anytime you're out on lake or something, it's just the invasive the the carp have taken over um, everything. So yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. So. Um, let's give a, a little background here on uh, special education. So before 1961, so if we're thinking about the movie um, Forrest Gump, right? We're thinking before 1961, the U United States did not publicly um, educate children with disabilities. wasn't Schools weren't required to do that. Basically, uh, they would they would if a child had a cognitive, emotional disability, deafness, blind, um, they would tell the parents, you know, you have to figure out this 
on your own. You have to provide the services. You have to contract for the services, but the school isn't obligated to do that. 1975, a law was passed in the U.S. Uh, requiring that schools needed to provide special education and include all students. So really, it's since 75 that special education has been around. Again, 7 million students receive special education services. Now, if we go back, like in Wisconsin, the School for the Deaf, School for the Blind, they were there in the 1800s. Um, because it would be the concept there was these services were so specialized, it didn't make sense to replicate them regionally. Uh, so you you had uh, Janesville, Wisconsin for School for the Blind, Delavan, both in southern parts of the state, and students would just live there. They would again be be residential. The services were so unique and so low instance that you you consolidate them. Those were the models that um, that had been in place, you know, since the 1800s. Um, so the Individuals with Disability Act, you know, we're thinking 19. 75 and onward. If we think 7 million students with disabilities, that's about 14% of all students in public schools. Um, they have to be educated in the least restrictive environments called LRE. The LRE was typically the child's classroom, like the regular education classroom whenever possible. So now when you do this IEP, it's a big document um, for you know, putting together the services for students. But you look at this IEP, it has the types of services a student will receive and then the frequency and the location. And the location never says home, right? So right now all the students, you know, are home. They're, they're receiving services through teletherapy. So, you know, all these IEPs um, were never designed to be delivered in this, this home setting. Um, but yeah, if we think about, you know, services, um, special education services for speech language, occupational, physical therapy, learning disabilities, audiology, these would all be areas. There can be accommodations like, you know, assignments on audiobooks, services such as an aid with a student, an adult aid, a picture schedule for a student, possibly a student with autism, stuff like that. So, um, all right. So some schools, all right, some schools ended the year early. They just stopped. Like in Wisconsin now, we're doing remote learning. Um, but some schools, such as Georgia, Texas, other areas, other, other states, including Washington, D.C., but um, they waive the minimum restriction requirements. They just said, shut it down. Summer vacation starts now. All right. Summer is happening right now. There's, there's no obligation to, to continue with any type of uh, education. So basically, though, they're saying we have all these IEP services for students with disabilities, and we're just going to kick them down the road. Right. We're not providing them. So we're going to figure out something in fall or hope that the the Fed gives us a break or something like that. Special ed is a Fed thing, not a state thing. The state can't give a break on special education. It can only happen through the Fed. The, all of the states will probably request some kind of waivers on this, but the states cannot overrule the Fed on this. So here's a graphic that I wanted to bring up. So, um, hey, what in the heck? Um all right, that's not actually the one I wanted to bring up. All right, let us try this one. Um, all right, there we go. Okay, yeah, subscribe to this channel. Thanks. Um, okay, hang with me here. Let's get that off there. Okay, so here's the one that I, I want to bring up because this, this is the summary of the philosophy of special education um, services right now for a number of states, especially states that have shut things down. Okay, so here's what you're looking at, okay? All right, I drew this on a whiteboard, believe it or not. Um, all right, 
so let's say that we have three students. We have Sarah, we have Marcus, we have Lance. Let's assume Lance receives special education services. Lance is a student with a disability. So that line we see up and down there, that says remote learning, okay? So that's the point in time on a timeline when remote learning started. So let's just say end of March, right? End of March, remote learning started. So academic growth is over on the right. So our thought is if we provide some education to students, right, even if it's virtual uh, education for part of part of their week, you know, they're not getting their full, their full school day, that students would still make academic growth, right? If we provide something to students, they're not going to regress. Um, but here was here was the deal. Let's say that if we provide education to students remotely, um, Sarah, who's a regular education student, might have made a 10% gain from now to the end of the year. Marcus, Marcus might have made a 20% gain. Lance, Lance is a student with a disability again. Maybe Lance would have made a 4% gain. Well, what some school administrators did in some state um, departments of ed said is, well, you know what? Um, we can't provide the depth of services, the the one-on-one aid, the you know a special adaptive equipment, the therapies, we can't provide all of that in-home that we would have given to Lance, for example. Um, so what we're going to do is we're just going to shut everything down. We're going to shut everything down right now because it's not equitable, right? It's not equitable. We can't we're, we can't provide a, a playing field for all of our a level playing field for Sarah Marcus and Lance um, because we're not going to have these things for Lance. So I think that's a really failed, a really, a really incomplete, um, careless approach to things of saying, well, if all of our students can't make growth, we we assume that, that this is, uh, you know, under this format where we're going to be educating them in home at home for a while with remote learning. We're just going to shut it all down. Um, so basically what they did is they just did that. They just shut everything down um, instead of saying, you know, we're going to see how, how this works. We're going to do the best we can. We're going to learn. We're going to do things. And I think it also sends a strong message of just the, that they have lower expectations for students with special education who you don't know that Lance necessarily isn't going to be able to make gains um, and and that you're not going to be able to adjust on the fly uh, for Lance either. So anyway, this is it's it's an interesting way that they looked at things of saying, well, you know what, since we can't provide the same for everybody we're not going to provide anything at all to anybody. <laughs> um, I, I just think that is, that's a really bad approach to things. Um, all right. So here we are, here we are back. All right. So um, let me go over to the, to the chat room bacon. I self-identify as Marcus. So I actually wrote about a Marcus in my, in my book. So it's estimated that children in K-5 are at a minimum six months behind and growing exponentially every month. Brian Bowden from New York, our good friend, Brian Bowden. Um, yeah. So Brian, under, under what you just, you know, stated there, why would some schools like Georgia or, or some states like Georgia and Texas just shut it down and, and just say, well, it's not working and remote learning is clunky and students with disabilities aren't getting the same level of service that they were getting in school or getting as their non-disabled peers. So we're just going to shut everything down. We're just going to close it all down. And it's like, no, you struggle through this, you figure it out. And you know, it, it's not like it would be if it was in person because no one designed a program to go up until March and then be quickly moved over to an online platform. But you just don't do this. It's just and how you're able to get away with this horse shit, like how as a state you're able to, you know, hear your bigger district saying, well, you know, it's really hard. Our teachers don't like doing the remote learning and some parents are upset. And then you're like, OK, just we'll shut it down. 
We'll shut down. We'll worry about it. We'll shut down. We'll close it. Done. You're on summer vacation. We're paying everybody through June 30th because you're under contract. Don't worry about it. We'll shut it down. Yeah, it, it's a pain. It's a pain to do. Yeah, we get it. And I'm like, how do you do that? How would you do that in any other profession? How do you do that when we go to the drive, you know, drive through, you know, um, you know, right now at a, a restaurant and they're coming out and they had to modify, they had to come up with ways to make this work, right? Um, the local auto parts place, you know, you look ahead on the catalog online, you can talk to them on the phone. They bring three things out to you. Yeah, which wiper would you like? I, you know, they got to have them outside the store and you can look and say, I want that one. And then, you know, they do the trans. I mean, you can't just throw up your hands and say, well, it's hard now. So just screw it. We're not going to do it. Um, which they've done Georgia, Texas. And I mean, at least you've got to complete through the school year, right? You've got to do that. And it's just absolutely insane. But for, for all students, and then, of course, you know, like Brian said, it impacts all students. I mean, you just shut it down. Um, crazy. Lots of lies. and Yeah, fear, fear. Yeah. And the thing is, here's Brian. Here's the thing. I really believe this, okay? One thing as an administrator I learned, I learned, is you have non-negotiables. If you sit down with people and say, listen, here's the deal. None of us anticipated we'd be doing remote learning this year. I mean, none of us, right? You're an administrator talking to your staff and say, but here's where we're at. This is this is where we're at. We have to do this. It, it's, it's the Apollo 13 mentality, right? You know, the space shuttle's been, been um, you know, damaged or, or you know, the, the capsule's been been damaged. And, and so, you know, Gene Kranz, you're sitting there, it's like, well, you know, this is the hand we're dealt. We've got to play it. <laughs> We've got to figure this out. It's a non-negotiable. We got to work the problem. And when you when you tell people that they can typically solve things, they can be innovative, um, they they come up with stuff. But when you keep the door open, you're like, yeah, I don't know, you're right, this does suck. So I'll tell you what, like, let's delay it another week. Just keep calling parents and seeing how things are going, and then uh, we're going to keep pressuring the state and through our you know organizations here, our you know superintendent groups or whatever. We're going to pressure the state to, to you know to shut down the year, uh, you know the school year, just just to do a decree. And that's how this stuff happens. But if you just came out and did a flat non-negotiable saying, listen, here's where we're at. It's an Apollo 13. This is what happened. Um, you know, you have a week or two to get connected with your parents, understand your platforms, and then you're going. And then you're, you're doing it. You're going to learn from it. You do the best you can, the best effort you can, given the situation and context. But the moment you leave the door open for people, the moment you leave the door open saying, yeah, um, I don't know, maybe there's some wiggle room, maybe what this will happen. People won't do anything. I mean... This happens all the time in schools when they hire a new superintendent, right? Because a superintendent says, I'm retiring at the end of the year. Well, then all initiatives are dead. <laughs> like no one's going to do anything as a big initiative because the new superintendent might have a different vision. So they're not going to carry through on this um, or principal or all of that. So anytime there's a turnover in leadership. So there's a big thing here. And, and for everybody in the chat room and listening, hey, Cameron Sanchez, Cameron, good evening. And and thanks for thanks for coming in. Yeah. Thanks, Cameron. Um yeah, it is it is absolutely is absolutely crazy, crazy stuff. But those non-negotiables, I think, are so important. And I think it really separates out the true leaders, not only in that, but in business. Like I, I have friends, you know, who own businesses and stuff, and they talked to some of their employees and said, listen, here's the, the non-negotiable. We just we have to do things this way right now in Wisconsin because through May 26th, we're at a safer at home. We can't have people come into the store, so we're gonna have to do this. We're going to have to do this thing on a website. We're going to have to do this other stuff. And, and they just do it. Um, so that is the thing is if you just say it's a non-negotiable, we got to work the problem. 
And too many times in schools, people just, they, they don't do that. So the stuff in Georgia, Texas, where they're just, they just said it's too hard. We're shutting it down. <laughs> we're shutting school down because it's too hard because we can't figure out the remote learning. Well, is it going to get any easier? Are you going to like learn it in summer? So you have to, in case you have to go to it in fall, because I think there's a very strong likelihood fall might not happen in a lot of places, right? School either be shut down or you'll start and then there'll be another wave of the pandemic and people be shut down. So why not learn it now? I mean, why not bumble through it now and kind of get familiar so at least you come into fall with these skills? Because virtual ed isn't going anywhere. Like that's here to stay. Let's go over in the chat room. Um, Bacon wrote, so even the special ed would be improved without sending them to, to teachers. Yeah, so crazy, crazy stuff. Um, Brian Bowden, ideally it gives the government more time to address this for September. Reality, they don't care uh, as a dumb constituency is a great way for people that promise to help all who are now uh, dependent. Yeah, what will this look like as we get into uh, September and people more and more um, dependent upon the government? It's a great point. Uh, Brian also wrote, sad fact is there are programs in place that offer homeschooling, complete content, as well as computer programs. Right. So as Brian wrote, there are things in place that schools could switch to or they could adopt modules. There are programs in place all schools have access to for military families um, who frequently move for migrant families that come into districts. This stuff was around 15 years ago when I was, you know, uh, in school administration. I was in administration, um, you know, back you know, just a few years ago too, but I mean, this stuff has been around. It's not, it's not that foreign, right? These platforms have been, been around. Um, so the fact is it's, it's people just reluctant to take this on. Betsy, Betsy DeVos. So in April, so last month, a couple of weeks ago, education secretary, Betsy DeVos denied request to give schools districts the option to bypass major parts of IDEA or special, special education law services. Basically, um, some administrators were, were, were you know, really ramping up and yeah. um, Okay, just hang with me. There we go. Connection. Um, all right. So um, anyway, so disability rights advocates, if you're a parent of a child with a disability, if you're, you know, if, if you know people, relatives, friends, a child has a disability, th this was a win because if Betsy DeVos would have said um, to districts, yeah, right now, uh, you don't have to hold uh, the, the standard of idea. You don't have to, to adhere to the IEPs. This is a crazy time. Nobody would have done, is, if people would have heard that. Remember we checked about the Apollo 13? Districts would have heard that. A lot of districts would have just shut it down immediately and said, well, we're not going to do this, right? Until we get more guidance. That would have been their, their whole thing. Because again, we just saw Georgia, Texas shut it down. So... Um, Anyway, schools, you know, all, all schools are out of compliance with IEPs and um, are schools going to get hammered with lawsuits in fall? So that's the question, right? So again, I, I, I teach classes for special education directors, um, aspiring superintendents, legal issues. So if you're a school superintendent, school board, teachers, are you going to get sued this fall because you haven't provided services to kids, all kids, and then also kids with disabilities because disabilities ID. EA, Individuals with Disability Education Act. Also, I guess parts of the Americans with Disabilities Act would maybe come into that access to, um, you know, other participation with other students. Again, if you didn't provide, um, you know, like web access to students with disabilities so they could be with their peers, things like this. Anyway, um, schools are going to get hammered with lawsuits. And a lot of these smaller districts, that's, you know, really going to tie them up, be an end, probably an end to some of these districts. 
as school administrators, you're going to be wading through this. You know, you're going to be you're, you're going to have these these due process hearings uh, regarding idea. You might have some civil litigation from parents who said, "Now my child has anxiety. Um, you know, they they have uh, stress disorder, other things um, that that come into play." Anyway. I can't imagine what it would be like to be a school administrator this fall. The litigation is just going to be rolling in. Um, a friend of mine who's an attorney said this is already happening. Like parents, parents are already filing these lawsuits against these uh, the the school districts. So this is an important part to get us into kind of our our main points here of barriers to sustaining special education services. All right. Um, Here's here's what schools are doing right now. So I'm going to put this up on my overlay. All right, here we go. Okay, let me hang hang with me for the for this. I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to get through it fast. Okay, so this is called a prioritization matrix. All right, I put this one together, and I'll do I'll put the screenshot in the blog post for the show and. Anyway, when you come back to this show, if you just pause it here, like you'll have an understanding. Like this is important, right? Because you can talk intelligently about this. You can you can tell people, yeah, this is this is how schools are planning right now for the fall. All right, and I'm going to show you a little video here in in, in just a second, to sh like a one minute video from a school in Canada. Of some crazy stuff. I don't think it's actually going to play out the way that the video has. But so this is called a prioritization matrix. So this this type of process happens all the time in schools, okay? And basically what you do is you try to figure out what are gonna be our priorities for this upcoming year. Because this this is A through F, but literally you could have 50 things on here. You could be, you know, athletics versus, you know, clubs versus whatever versus whatever. So this is a, this is a cool thing here. Um, so <laughs> Bacon says, I see two of the 13 plus made up terms we have to get, yeah. So prioritization matrix. So this is really good. And it's also a good thing in your, work in your life if you're trying to take stuff that's subjective and put an objective rating to it like how do we actually rank things like here's 10 things we could do um how do we prioritize what's the first thing to do but anyway let me let me go through how you actually do something like this so you're always comparing um the the left to the right so let's look over on this prioritization uh, matrix and so A is social distancing, B is staffing, C is sanitizing, D is regular education, academics, C is monitoring student health, F is special education. So this is a very small one. So basically you're weighting these things. And over on the, the box there, you have your weight. One is equally important, five is more important, 10, much more important, 0.5 less important, 0.2 much less important. So you're always comparing these together and then you're going to have a score and that's going to tell you objectively what is most important. So you're having multiple people on your administrative team, you know, do this, put this together. But I'm going to tell you, like, this is what schools are doing right now. And this is typically how this is this is weighing out. So let's just do the left-hand side. And you see that green coming down because you can't compare one thing to itself. A to A, you can't compare. Is social distancing more important than social distancing? Well, they're both the same thing. They're social distancing. Let's work, work away through the top. Okay, so A on the left compared to B. Is social distancing more important than staffing? And for here, I have a five, okay? So again, you'd have a whole team doing this and you kind of average this up, but a five means more important. So the, the conclusion here is that, um, you know, social distancing is, is more important 
than staffing. And then comparing A to C, is social distancing more important in sanitizing? And you might put one, you know, it's like equally important. Anyway, comparing A to D, is social distancing more important than regular education? I'm doing this wrong, actually. Is, is um, yeah, is social, excuse me, no, is social distancing more important than regular education? Yeah, yeah, it's much more important. That's how, it's, again, it's customer perceived value right now, too. It's what schools want. It's if you're going to get people back in, if you're going to get your teachers unions on board, anyway, you play this out, you just compare one to another. I'm not going to go through the whole thing because that would be, be kind of long and tedious, but I already did it on here. I did it today. And as you can see, like the, um, the two in pink, social distancing and sanitizing, social distancing came out with 31 and 35 for san sanitizing. You add up the importance, how this would rank out. You can tell like that's where schools are going to put their money. That's what they're going to do right away. We're going to have social distancing. We have to prioritize that. We're going to put money into that, marking things, making sure desks are spaced apart, moving, taking tables out, taking seats out of buses, all of those things, sanitizing. We're going to have all this equipment put in place to sanitize UV lights, all of this thing. We're going to put that in place. Regular ed academics, that's probably not, you know, that's not very high. That comes out at a 6.1. So that's lower on your priorities. It's not, at this point, it's not going to be about academics in fall. It's going to be about social distancing and sanitizing. How about special education? That's going to come out at a really low score. Athletics would probably come out even below uh, special education. So we can just look at these things. Now, normally, if you look at this, sanitizing, social distancing, a year ago, those things, you know, social distancing wouldn't have even been on here and sanitizing would have probably been where special ed is, like a 1.3. It just wouldn't have been that important. But as you can see, coming into this fall, customer perceived value, uh, social proof, what parents want to see, they want to see social distancing and sanitizing. And then also like monitoring student health. Are you going to have more nurses, more nurses aid, taking temperature of students, things like that. So anyway, this is the prioritization matrix type of approach that schools are working with right now. So you can come back to this. I think it's pretty, pretty helpful. This, this type of approach has served me well. You can actually do this. There's different ways to do this, like it's a plus minus and just kind of do that. How many pluses versus how many minus? But I'm going to get out of that right now. Um, so yeah, you can come back to this. Um, if you're interested, it'll be in the blog post too. But again, social distancing and sanitizing are going to be where people put put the money this, this year. And let's talk about money, okay? Cost, cost. In unresolved matters surrounding special education has always been the cost. It's expensive to do special education services. It's specialized equipment, specialized staff. Again, this is a statement of not saying, I'm not trying to say that it's not um, worth it, that this isn't something we should, we should be doing as a society. I'm not doing that. I'm just pointing out that special education services have a high cost associated with them. Um, so schools are going to be forced to uh, have extreme austerity measures this fall. If we look at, you know, some districts are starting to get the point. They're starting to see, oh, 10 to 20% cuts because we don't have the state funding. 90% of school funding is local or state. Okay, usually it's about 50% state, 40 local. If you're in a wealthy district, a really rich district, you get less state aid, more of it comes from your local tax base. But anyway, very little comes from the Fed. Some, you know, special education dollars flow through idea come through the, the Fed. But anyway, cost. All schools have to reduce cost. You take that prioritization matrix that I just showed. Schools are looking at that saying, where are we going to put the money right up front to get kids back in the door, to get parents to believe they can bring their kids back here in fall? We have to sanitize schools. Um, we have to 
you know, prioritize, prioritize um, social distancing, that we have all this stuff happening in schools. So that's, that's going to be a part. Um, staffing, okay? Staffing, special education staff shortages, they were there before all of this, okay? Um, people telling me, Dave, we've got, you know, all these teachers on emergency, one-year license, they never taught special education before, and now they're taking a program trying to get licensed. That was back when things were like, great economy, you know, stock market was at 29,000, economy was booming and all of that. Um, so now you're going to have these, these, these situations where, where are you going to get teachers to, for special education, um, classrooms, where are they going to be? Um, so again, this, this is something right now as attrition in workforce, as districts only have so much money, they're not going to be able to maintain staff. All, everybody's going to get reduced right from administrators to regular education teachers to special education. And if you have stuff like a French class or some ancillary stuff, you know, whatever athletics, that stuff will probably be gone. The money's just not going to be there. Um, so here's another point, inclusion. So from a philosophical angle, okay, the pandemic advances a narrative of including students with disabilities with non-disabled peers. So remember I talked about the school for the blind where I worked and that was all students with visual impairments. Some students had some vision, actually quite a bit of vision, um, but other students uh, completely blind, but all students had a disability, right? So the argument for inclusion is saying we should kind of do like the one room schoolhouse approach, right? Everybody is served in the, the, the regular education setting, like that we, we really don't have these, these pull out these other services. Um, because they're not inclusive. Now, of course, I mean, there's some times where you have specialized equipment and things like that. It's just not practical to, to do things in a regular education classroom. But philosophically, um, more of society was moving toward an inclusive approach and not having, there's the special education wing of the school for students, which I remember when I was a special education director, I was hired in a place and they had the special, <laughs> I went to the high school. Oh my God, this is crazy. I went to the high school um, and I was walking through the hallways and then it'd be like, you know, this is the, the math area. This is the foreign language area. And then up on the hallway, like toward the back, special education was like printed, you know, big, big letters up on the hallway. And I'm like, oh my God, like um, that, let's, let's get, let's get rid of that. Like special education just shouldn't be a wing that's off on the, on the, the back of the building. Um, but anyway, this in inclusive model. So philosophically, you know, there's going to be a lot of barriers um, to coming back to school and saying, hey, we're, we're, we're going to do special education separate, um, kind of in large part like it was done before the pandemic. Now, I know there was inclusion before the pandemic, but again, you have less resources. Schools will be making cuts of 10 to 20 percent. They're going to have less staff. You're going to have to look at things and say, we're going to serve all students in, the, in one setting, in regular education setting. There's just no option. We don't have the number of staff to do it otherwise. Um, let's go over to the chat room. Sass too many. Best way to sanitize this with fire. Wow. Yeah. Or good old fashioned light. My God. Yeah. Get, get kids out on the playground, right? Sunlight. Um, Sir Brian, great idea. Make all those who go to school, no matter what school, have to wear a full jumpsuit. So when they can spray down everyone's sanitary misters in every entrance and hall in class. It, and it's crazy, Brian, but that those types of things are actually kind of being thought about, right? They're being thought about. Um, so Bacon wrote, I think they might want to make uh, Chinese a mandatory learning class. Brian Bowden, to says to many, I'm not opposed to, to fire. Um, I remember when it was Russia. Yeah. Wow. So, all right. So we get, so I wanted to do three things. One is cost. Schools aren't going to have the money. Barriers to sustaining special education services. It's too expensive. 
just flat out. It's a high cost. You're not going to be getting extra money from the feds to do this. That flow through money, which came to districts, that's going to be cut down. The states don't have the money. So districts aren't going to be able to provide these services. And also with the prioritization matrix, we know that the dollars are going to be flowing into social distancing, sanitizing, stuff like that. That's going to be where the, the money is going to go. Um, so it's, it's a matter of cost. Schools will look at this too and say, we, listen, we know we're going to get hit. We know we're going to get hit up with lawsuits and non-compliance or whatever, but we just, we don't have the money to, to do these things. Staffing, how are you going to get special education, um, you know, staff who, who are going to fill these positions? Are you going to have attrition through all positions? Also, you know, you're working with students with uh, disabilities. Let's talk about, you know, protective gear, things like that. Just a second inclusion. Um, here we go. Social distancing. Now, I want to show this video, and I've got to show it over my cell phone. This is uh, about a minute and a half long, I think. This is Erd Lee Elementary School. This is in Canada. And uh, so they released it this week, and this was uh, shared with me by a few people. But so this is somebody from the school and sharing this, this out now as a school to parents saying, here's what school might be like in fall for your kids. So, so. Here we go. All right. So it's, it's a short video. I'm going to give some critique as it goes. Hi, Ms. Helpin. All right. Typical day. Whoa. Don't be alarmed. This is what we're going to look like when you. Yeah, I hope not. All right. So imagine an elementary school, right? Maybe has 300 kids. So one person pulls up. She's like, stay in your car. The kids got to stay six feet apart. This isn't the way anybody arrives at a school, right? So again, the school is made to be population dense, you know, two, three, 400 students. Wow. Look at everything on the floor. How are you going to see that during <laughs> Nobody's going to follow this. And this is when this is when we start to do permanent solutions for temporary things. So this is the classroom. Look at this. Imagine that your school does this, right? That they send this message to you. Share this with your kids, Brian. Don't do that. Don't don't make light of a situation like this. So yeah, they literally, you know, have the this kid six feet apart. Most rooms you won't be able to do that. Okay, this is a K through two building. Kids, kids aren't going to know what that means anyway. They're not going to be. All of our play structures and our swings will have caution tape on it, so that's a no go zone. It's crazy. You don't need to do that. Yikes. Okay. One is, I think whoever put that video together, she actually did a good job for what she was assigned to do, right? Put this video together for kids and stuff like that. So th that part of it, I'm not critiquing and, and critical of her, but that type of video, that's pretty, that's dystopian, right? And it's just not real. 
Um, now, this is the type of thing, though, that superintendents are telling me right now across the United States. Hey, Dave, we're putting together similar videos. We're putting things together like this and getting it out to parents, getting it out to kids um, of social distancing. You're not going to be out on the playgrounds this year. The gym is off limits. The library is off limits. Um, all of these types of things. But we get into this whole mode, again, of, of permanent solutions for temporary things. I mean, this is a lot of people are looking at this and saying, we're going to change our, our handbooks, our protocols and whatever. So not only this fall, but the fall of 2025, we'll be doing the same thing. So anyway, this this type of stuff. So let's think about students with disabilities. So that student that came up um, to, the, you know, got out of the car. So what if that is a student um, who has a sensory um uh, you know, disability, a student with autism. I, I had a lot of students when I was a special ed director with autism that could only wear certain types of clothes because they'd say this fabric is, it's, I can't, I can't handle it. Like I got to, I can only wear cotton or something like that. Um, so this kid's not going to wear a mask or they're going to rip it off. You're going to have preschool kids. We're going to be ripping off masks or students with intellectual disabilities. So what do you do then? Seclusion and restraint, you can't force them to wear a mask, but what if they don't wear a mask? Or what if they're ripping at your mask? Because that's, it's unnatural, right? It's very concerning for them. They want to see your face. We learn from visual verbal cues around the mouth area, right? I'm a speech language pathologist. I know this. So, um, so, so what do you, what do you do? Like if a student chooses not, or, or just is reluctant to wear that, you can't force them to wear it. There's, there are many laws, seclusion and restraint of saying, you know, you can't restrain a student. You can't, um, you know, impede their movement against their will, these types of things. So you're going to have a lot of litigation there. You're going to have teachers to say, well, if this kid isn't wearing a mask and all students are supposed to wear masks, or if they keep ripping off my mask, I'm out of here because I, I, you know, we have 400 kids in the building and now I'm exposed to all of this stuff. So you're going to have the, the huge side of this virus mitigation, all these protocols that are going to be fatigued, or that's a, a student who's going to an elementary kid who's going to go out on the playground anyway, right? Or is going to go not look at the arrows and not is going to get mixed up in a hallway and, and something like that, or they're going to get up from their desk and they're going to go to somebody else. And again, these desks, like, okay, so you have that, that classroom and these desks are six feet apart, but you know, one kid sneezes and that sneezes throughout the whole room. I mean, so it just, it, it doesn't make sense. It's feel good stuff for the administrators. It's what teachers want to see. It's what parents want to see. So they feel safe coming back, but this stuff doesn't change anything, right? If you think of an HVAC system circulating out air, even hospitals have a very limited area that they have a high filtration level of their air for viruses. Um, and again, schools, you have people coming in and out all of the time into that school. Every, every you know, piece of clothing, you know, that the kid has, if somebody sneezed on it, exposed to it, stuff like that. it's the way it's always been. I mean, we've always had immune systems, right? You can't sanitize every single kid the moment they walk into a building and, you know, every staff member, every, every guest, every bus driver, every bus, everything like that. So, um, so, uh. Let's see here in the chat room. Uh, bring it closer to the camera. Oh, sorry about the camera. <laughs> um, I, should, I didn't. Sorry about that. So I'll put a link to the video. But it's it's um, if you just it's elementary school in in Canada. COVID procedures. If you type it in YouTube, you'll find it. Just went up this week. Um, my youngest, um, uh, Brian said. Uh, my youngest just said that she hopes she doesn't have the same teacher <laughs> uh, next year. Yeah. Um, Sass to me wrote, imagine you're seven and get 
punished for not social distancing. Yeah. So, so SAS, this is a great point. And also let's think about students with disabilities, students with intellectual disabilities, students with autism being punished because they didn't social distance. Um, how do you process that? What is, how do you make sense of that? You know, that you, because you've been taught the whole time to not social distance, right? To give your friends, um, you know, a high five, to stand close to each other in line with your, you know, um, you know, hands by your side, to be close to each other during fire drills, all these, I mean, all of these things you've, you've been taught, you know, playgrounds, be inclusive, be close to your friends when you're playing. And now it's like, no, you have to be uh, six feet away or we're only going to let so many people on the monkey bars and then on the swings. And then we're going to take Lysol and spray down the swings before the next people go. This stuff is just insane. And also we just don't need to do that. We, and it doesn't need to be a permanent protocol going forward. It just can't be sustained. So yeah, uh, it's this, this huge setup, this type of thing. If we walk a student, all students through, this is a big mess. But if we take students with disabilities, students with an autism, and, uh, autism, you're trying to make them adhere to that protocol. That's a disaster. That's a disaster waiting to happen. It's just not going to work. Um, also, let's talk here about medically fragile children. A lot of students um, who have special education. Um, I had students when I was special education director, students uh, with, with trach tubes, students who were tube fed, students who had immune system deficiencies. So if a flu did hit the school, a traditional flu or norovirus or something like that, the parent would just say, hey, we're going to keep our child home for a week or two. They get a note from the doctor. This wasn't anything the school put together. So you already have uh, immunocompromised students. You're not going to be able to provide a school setting that is going to be able to eliminate access um, through through airborne you know, aerosol virus and stuff like that. Schools just aren't built that way. 25% of schools today were built before 1950. I mean, nobody has these type of things. It would cost to retrofit these schools, even to build new schools with these MERV, these type of filtration systems, MERV, these filtration systems would be cost prohibitive. And how effective would it be as kids come in and out? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But yet we jump off and we do these types of things, such as this video, um, you know, from the school in Canada and then other superintendents, you know, telling me, yeah, we're get, we're preparing our own videos for this. We're preparing to show what it's going to be like when we come back to school. So let me do a, a pause here for the, the chat room. Um, so Cameron um, wrote, getting in trouble for doing nothing. Uh, that's how the kids will see it. Yeah, Cameron, you're right. You're, abs you're absolutely right with this. Kids will say, what did, what did I do? And, and again, it's, it's so counterintuitive. I went over to my friend or my friend, somebody dropped books in the hallway and I helped them pick up books. Or yeah, I went over to pick up something um, on in the lunch table because we had to pass ketchup or whatever. I mean, all of these things, um, holding a door open for somebody, all of these things which are going to now be conditioned out of kids. They're going to be so confused. Well, I, I, you know, this a year ago, I would have got a, a ticket, a paw print for positive behavioral intervention supports for my school saying, great job for doing this. And now I've, I'm, I'm being reprimanded for, for doing this. It's, 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 yeah, it's going to blow kids' minds. It's, it's terrible stuff. Um, Brian uh, wrote, welcome to your personal pod, a self-contained container for your child. Kind of, right? It is getting that way. And, and you will see, Brian, you will absolutely see schools market it, a plexiglass surrounding for um, desk. 
you will completely see that. And what will kids do? They'll kick it over. They'll knock it over. They'll do things like that because again, it's just, it's, it's insane to do that. And it's also insane. To th these are the same kids that when school's out, they can go with their parents to Walmart and interact with other people and walk up and down aisles and, and be in lines and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? But, um, you will see this completely marketed to schools and schools will use this as a strategy to get parents to enroll kids back in school. Because remember, every kid that comes to school is about $12,000 at least for the school, sometimes $15,000. If parents keep their kids homeschooled, the districts aren't getting the money. The districts then, that's a huge financial crunch. You have to lay off more people. have to close more buildings. So there's incentive to do this. It's customer perceived value as it is in school safety. My book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America. But it's customer perceived value. Like in school safety, I was putting the bollards in front putting up the surveillance cameras, bulletproof glass, all of that stuff. Right now for schools, if you can go out as a school and you can show your sanitizing robots, your stations for kids with the plexiglass, all of your hand-washing stations, the mask you're going to be handing out to kids, how you sanitize books, you spray them down with Lysol, handle, you know, the, the handles, um, touchless entrances, stuff like that. That's what parents want to see. That's also what teachers want to see. The you know teachers unions, AFT, NEA saying these things have to be in place, or we're going to strike. Um, then how about the kids? Kids, it, kids will just see it as odd. It's not going to make sense to the kids. So like that video that was I just showed you from um, you know the school in Canada, it, the kids are supposed to watch, and then parents you know explain it to your kid. Kids will be like, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. This I guess they'll show me. They'll teach me this right when we get in there. But it's so crazy it is absolutely insane uh bacon said the camera at least they're covering their nose yeah uh brian bounds new york city just put in place that everyone who's 65 and older will not be allowed to work in the schools whoa wow okay yeah i don't know i don't know what i i think about that um wow the mallard report jim mallard jim good evening welcome jim welcome uh sass too many homeschools is the answer if this is a children's future yeah sass too many the reality is like the video I showed and, and if we get into all these requirements of social distancing, if we get into these re requirements of school districts saying, Hey, we're going to take uh, kids temperature as they walk through the door and staff um, policy. If your temperature is above, you know, 99.2, you're going to be sent home. No questions asked. Like you're just sent home. Um, you start doing stuff like that. And, and it, you are, you, it's just, it'd be a scenario. Um, Again, if that in all of these artificial environments that you have kid, kids in six feet apart, all these weird drop off, you know, things or if they have to wear mask and um, it's just parents are going to be like, we're not going to we're, we're not going to do it. And the part is, I just don't think the science supports it. Right. I don't think the science supports it. If you really were going to get down nuts and bolts into this, you'd have to take a school and maybe alternate and say, Half the kids will attend Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday will sanitize the school with our UV lights and sprays and mist and fogs and whatever. And then Thursday and Friday, the other half will attend. Uh, Wednesday will be a virtual day. And then by doing that, we reduce the density of, the, of population in the school. Like we only have half as many kids and staff or half as many kids, maybe staff there at any day. But yeah, all of this type of stuff is really dystopian. It's really crazy. This reminds me when I was a director, this was a, a wild story. Like we had a student with a food food allergy and the parent was saying, really severe food allergy, can't be around anything. Um, you know, peanuts, um, shellfish, this whole thing. So we're like, okay. So we put all this protocol together at school. It's really intense. And then I remember like um, I was I was in the mall 
on a weekend and I saw this kid and family at the food court. All right. And this, and the parents were saying, kids could never be out at a food court, can never be doing this, can never be out. It was just like out in a food court, like eating from a, you know, takeout stand or whatever it was. And you don't know what was sanitized beforehand or cross contamination on a tray. I mean, so it's just crazy. Like this, the school is supposed to mirror the real world. I mean, that's, that's the school is supposed to prepare you for the real world. Schools that, you know, years ago would, would rent apartment rooms. So students with disabilities could understand, you know, what it would be like if you had to buy your groceries and take them and put them into, you know, your, your fridge, if you had to do, you know, vacuuming, if you had to, you know, pay your rent, all of these things. Actually, we had that down at the school for the blind. It was called the life house. It was next to the building. It was, it was a ranch house that they just converted and older kids, they would have them stay there for two weeks and they'd have to make their own meals, um, you know, figure out their, you know, what entertainment they were going to, you know, do basically like, you know, for what they're going to tune in on the TV at night, stuff like that. But anyway, um, the, the life house, but now we have this situation where we're creating this, this complete weird dystopian area. And again, I just don't see that kids are going to be ad adhering to this and kids without disabilities or kids with disabilities are going to struggle with this greatly. Um, understanding, oh, socially distant. And, and what if they try to grab your mask? What if, what if, you know, your policy is that kids have to wear masks or if kids are sick or coughing, they have to wear a mask. What if they don't wear a mask? Then do you send them home? Um, I mean, this is, this is all going to, to be, you know, substantial. So let's look over in the chat. Um, so yeah, Jim has detention. He does. Yeah. Weird time for me. So yeah, I'm, I'm working out and, and I'm working out time. Yeah. Time zones. Uh, so I'm in central time. So it works for people who are mountain time and then out on, um, out on the Pacific coast, um, because then it's obviously seven 13 there. I don't want to get it started too early. I got to figure this out a little bit, but, um, so Cameron wrote school cafeterias and lunches are probably gone. Yeah. So this is a good point. Like Cameron, right? Schools are built for economy. We're not going to have trillions of dollars coming out to replace all of our school buildings. Uh, in Wisconsin here, we have 421 districts, 2,200 school sites, including preschool sites, a lot of community-based preschool sites. So you're pretty much screwed on all of that. Um, yeah. Cafeterias are gone because they're population dense. So you're probably going to have kids eating in rooms. Like, what does that look like? Um, uh, gymnasiums are gone. Playgrounds, as we saw that will be, will be gone. I mean, it's, it's just wild. Uh, Brian Bowen wrote, so ideally, and I, pl uh, plan actually submitted to the New York city board of education. I say all classes should be accessible via video and audio. All work on board, um, is downloadable this way. Uh, teachers can be in school and kids can be home and get the same education when the school is in their classroom. It's, um, it's kind of about a hybrid model. So yeah, and that's what I've been hearing too is as schools go forward, there will be this hybrid model because everybody is very aware this fall they could be shut down again. If they start in person, they don't want to go through being told, listen, you have four days and then you're, you're going to remote learning. Everybody's going to keep one foot in remote learning. Actually, some of the schools around here, like if you have a third, four sections of third grade, they'll say one section is virtual. You're not even coming back this fall. So, um, and three will be in person, but then if we have to go virtual, we'll, we'll just base it off of what this other group is doing. So, um, yeah, I, I think we're very close. We're very close to seeing that. Um, 
let me let me catch up here on the chat. Sass to many, I'm for 100% virtual school. Any needed lab space can be rented from existing office space. Education budgets need only be a fraction of what they are now. So let me break that down. Sass to many. So I believe you're you're right on with um, with saying uh, anything that's lab based, we can rent that, and we can also 3D print some of this stuff, right? We can 3D print some of these things. We can have kits sent to kids. Um, so a lot of the CAD, the 3D simulation stuff can be done. I mean, we're there with technology right on Sastamini. And we can, again, we can rent, we can get some places, but education budgets to maintain these massive school complexes, it's just not going to be feasible. Again, we are looking at a 10 to 20% budget cut for schools for this fall and perhaps more going forward. We can look at what the university systems are doing already. University of Wisconsin-Madison last week here. My state of Wisconsin, University of Madison told all their schools, prepare to consolidate programs. So if you are teaching paper science at this uh, four-year location, we also teach it over here. One location will teach it, and that'll be it. So the staff will be uh, combined. There'll be attrition. One location, that'll be it. And the fact is there's just not money to do this, right? Money quickly you know, forces the hand of everybody in this. It's a non-negotiable. You can't sit there as a state and say, well, if we come through with an another federal relief bill for all of the states for education for $1.8 trillion, we can, you know, restore everything that's been lost in revenues. No, it's not going to happen. Um, and again, we were ready to make this change. The hand is, has, again, been forced by the pandemic. But, you know, these, these huge buildings, and I talked about them, it just, it didn't make sense. Um, it, it, we absolutely did not need these types of buildings. This is K through 16, not only K 12, but at the post-secondary level, these, I mean, it was crazy. I went to college and, you know, I would go back to the university that I, I went to a few, but universities I graduated from like, and they just built these massive additional buildings on campus and thinking this doesn't make sense. It should be more virtual right now. But what it is, it's, it's, it's open enrollment. It's competition. We're going to have the flashy dorms. We're going to have the big gymnasiums. We're going to have the jumbotrons, the artificial turf. Oh, your student goes here. We're going to have the big swimming pool that can seat 800 people in the stands, yet our community is like 7,000 people, and it takes this much money to maintain a pool. But yeah, I, I mean, everybody thinks short term and it's all competition now, all competition, open enrollment. And that stuff just, it's gone. Like the austerity measures are in place. Um, Bacon wrote, um, still highly doubt teachers and the rest of the, the bloat staff will give up their job, let alone their power over the children they care about. So, I mean, and to be objective about this, Bacon, I, I think um, attrition will, it'll just be there. The districts will have less funding. You'll have 20%, you know, less dollars and you'll have to say, we're gone. Like our foreign languages, you know, this is gone. Athletics, this is gone. Athletic director, this is gone. It's just going to, to happen. Now, what you've wrote though, you know, Bacon is a lot of districts around here, not only districts, but, you know, local government, county governments, they've kicked it down the road. They've, because contracts typically come due Jan, uh, June 30th, they expired July 1st, the new staff contract kicks in place. So they don't want to mess with staff contracts. They want to have full force staff contracts without attrition, without austerity coming into July 1st. So everybody has a job, everybody's hired. And then you're under contract, so you're getting paid, right? Even if the schools go through all of this stuff, that's wrong. Like the state treasurer, um, you know, districts, they should be making these cuts, but they're not. They're locking in all of these contracts and then they're going to push it on to the states and push it on to the Fed to say, you know, 
make us whole because we have 20% less funding. And they're not going to do it. There's just not the money out there. We'd all have to be taxed through the roof to make this happen. It's just not happening. Um, so um, bacon, um, let me wrote here, um, SAS too many. The, the Prussian-based school model has finally been outgrown. Yep. Um, Brian Bowen wrote, problem with this entire process, the parents need to go to work. These kids being home without parents will not happen. So now you have to give up watching kids who's paying for the bill. It's a good point, Brian. I don't, and I don't have an answer for it, right? Because if we go to virtual education, um, you know, that assumes somebody is, is at home with a third grader or, you know, a fifth grader, eighth grader, whatever it is. And the, the parents have to be to work. So how do we make these models? How do we make these models work? And I, I don't know. I don't have an answer um, to that. It's, it's, it's a good point. It's a good point. Cameron, um, Cameron wrote uh, to Bacon, the food is 50-50. Sometimes they have good stuff. All right. Awesome. Uh, bacon. Yeah, we've outgrown the 1950s. Uh, let's be fair, outgrown the, the assess to me wrote, let's be fair, outgrown with the advent of the internet. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, upheaval is never easy. Bacon wrote that. True. I mean, we're at a, again, people want to hold on. It's just, I wrote about in School Bears, it's Taurus, it's your self-similarity. People want to hold on to that. They don't want to give up self-similarity because I'm used to this. Like, this is comfortable for me. I don't want to give up this. So they they stick with it. And um, right now we're out in this chaos, this, this new realm, and they just want to be like, it's going to come back to this. Like school start and fall. We don't want to change anything. And, you know, but again, the, the, the force factor here is we just, the money is not going to be there. That's the number one thing. And money is going to force a lot of these other things to happen. And as we get back into the, the title of the show, special education dead, um, special education services. If the, if the feds ease off on this at some point and, and say it's a state by state decision, if you want to make modifications, let's say you haven't so far, I think you're going to see some states of saying, no, we're going to go full inclusion with students and we're just going to have all students be served by everybody. Right. Um, and we're, we're going to, you know, cut out the, the, the specialized services. I think that would happen um, just because of the money. I think that would happen because there wouldn't be the dollars to support. Um, in some cases, I mean, there would always be some, you know, level of maybe occupational physical therapy, but things like learning disabilities. Um, I, I just, I don't, again, when you have 20% cuts in funding, um, I just don't see those types of things uh, moving forward. So again, kind of summarizing, if you're a parent of a student with a disability or you know uh, somebody, a family member, friend, and their child has a disability, right now what they need to be doing is they need to be familiar with their child's IEP, Individualized Education Plan. They need to be saying, hey, when my kid was in school a couple months ago, here's the services they were receiving. And right now they're not getting those or somebody's just calling home and saying, yeah, checking in, how's it going? Or here, you can do these things at home. You can practice these things. Um, that's not the same as services. So document the services a child was supposed to get, what they're missing. And then you have an argument back to the school to make whole in fall if, if school starts that they give additional services to the child. Or if there's outside services that you contract with or they offer to you that, that you know, you take advantage of those. But these are, otherwise, if you don't, do that. Some of these schools, again, Georgia, Texas have just shut down. You're not getting any of those services back. You might not get them back anyway, but you're not getting any of those services back. So just document of the services your, your child was receiving through the IP that they're not receiving um, anymore. So um, 
yeah, let me let me just kind of touch base on in the in the chat room. Um, Sir Brian Bowne, and if you have kids at home with a care provider and they are ill, then you have outbreaks in multiple locations instead of, of one school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Bacon Road, don't worry, Doc. Printing of money solves every problem. Yeah. So again, you know, we're we're in this 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 weird time of of I mean, we've been in times like that before, but just so much money being printed, um, this quantitative easing coming in, but we do not see a movement toward giving relief to K-12 schools. And that would really would have needed to happen already. I mean, if schools are to get in place what they feel they need, UV lights, um, you know, all of these uh, protective PPE stuff, um, other protective gear, things like that. They don't have the time to get those in place. They they don't, you know, virtual platforms, ramping those up. They don't have the money coming in for that. It's just not there. Um, and even the universities. So um, post-secondary is not getting, getting a fraction of the money. Now, some of these post-secondary places, they got big endowments. They shouldn't be getting money anyway. But you're going to see this massive consolidation. It's just, it's it's going to happen. It'll happen this year. It's, you know, really, really crazy stuff. But, you know, we touched again on that video from um i'm just going to bring this video up and i'm going to move this closer to screen again it's about a minute and a half and let's kind of close with all right here's the second All right, the reflection will be gone in just a moment. So this is a school in Canada. It's basically an early childhood through, I think, second grade. So think kids maybe three through eight. That's what they, all teachers, all staff will be wearing, right? Kid just touches his hair, <laughs> touch a door handle, touch everything. She touches a handle with a glove. He doesn't touch it. Okay. Ben's got to be like, I'm, I'm out of here. So, so he's, he's touching. How many? You're gonna have to have like a 55 gallon drum of that stuff on the floor. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. I'd be like, I've, I'm lost myself. How are you going to look down at the floor as everybody's walking? So that's a classroom. Holy God, no one's going to do that. So this is what their classrooms will look like. Schools aren't built for this, right? They're not built to have, you know, eight desk only and spread out. Gyms, closed, libraries, closed, cafeteria. Playgrounds shut down. Yeah, no, 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 I got it. I'll talk. Okay, 
so the thing that's so damn scary about that is it's not informed, right? I mean, you're going to have so many opportunities to fatigue that system. Um, the second is it's not necessary. This is a temporary event, and these are permanent solutions. And to think to, to as a face validity thing, right? Face validity is when you look at something too, and you're like this, you know, you look you look at the the thermometer outside and it reads 20 degrees, yet you're sweating, and it's like, oh, thermometer must be, be broke. Like face validity, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so at face validity, doing that doesn't make any sense. And again, try to imagine kids um with, with disabilities, a kid who's blind, trying, you know, you know, navigates orientation mobility with a cane, trying to figure out that stuff. Nothing's I mean, the blind world is braille, like everything is brailled. You have to touch things all throughout your environment that are brailled. I mean, how do you make this work in a Braille community? How do you do social distancing, sanitization in a Braille community? I mean, but this is, you know, you can't have kids out. This is part of uh, the, the, the psychology, the soma, uh, psyche and somi of kids. You know, you can't be outside on a playground. That's insane. Um, so I think you are setting kids up for, for such a, you know, such a psychological shock with something like this, too. Um, and again, what's what do we have as a scientific basis to say that this is going to decrease um, the chance of viral spread in the school? The kids are still breathing in and out as they're in the school. The filtration system is still going around. It, the virus is aerosol. It's not going to make a significant difference, right? Um, how do how do you how do you to pull how do you pull this off? But again, this is what's happening. Let's be aware of this. This I'm sure that. Our school, my kid's school, will send out a similar video. I already know from my friends who are superintendents who've shared this video with me and said, we're looking at doing something similar. This is like the template now. So we're filming it in our settings. We're putting up, you know, with our staff who, you know, people are familiar with. Oh, yeah, that's the second grade teacher, you know, Mrs. Laxon and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, okay. And, you know, so they're staging some of these things. This is insane. This is this is insane. It's, it's completely um, you know, dystopian. And again, what do we have for science behind um, saying that this is going to keep a school safe? And again, what they're missing out on this is the whole part two. This, this school board up there probably has a policy that they're going to check students' temperature um, during a day or check staff members. I mean, we see that now as an, if you're going to fly, right? That you have to have your temperature taken. That's kind of a, that's the way it's going to be for flying. You know, you're going to, what do you do? I've thought about that too. Like, you know, we, if we go back to Disney or something, or we're on a, the plane and, you know, one of us has a temperature, do we not get to fly then? How does that person get home? Or do you have to somehow wear a mask and everything and you come on and everyone's like, well, what's up? Like, I mean, people already have masks, but if they wear like something of indicating you you have a temperature, I mean, there's so many things in this which are just so messed up. But I think that video, and I'm glad you know I showed showed that video. Um, and Sass, to many, you're you're right. It's a it, it, very sad, Cameron. It's a scary video. It is. And again, I think the person that put that together, like you know that, uh, you know she she did a good job, you know, for what she was assigned to do. I mean, that could have been a really scary video, but. If you would add somebody come in there, you tell you if you don't do this, but um, it's absolutely, absolutely crazy, insane, scary to see that type of stuff that we wouldn't have seen. And again, these permanent protocol changes, as I see them to something which is temporary, um, I, I it's really unsettling um, to see that. 
Um, so Cameron Rowe doesn't seem like they are even changing their gloves after touching something. So that's a good point. So Cameron, I mean, all of these things too. I remember I told the story a little while ago of, you know, we went to the uh, drive through at our local, you know, fast food restaurant. And then the person came out with gloves and, um, you know, brought the stuff to, to our window. And then I said, I rolled down, you know, and say, oh, this isn't our order, you know? And she's like, Oh, I'm sorry. And then she takes the, you know, has the same gloves, takes it out from me, takes the car and back me. And then they take it like not changing the gloves. So in school, yeah. Are you going to have uh, staff changing their gloves? Where are you going to get the PPE? Who's funding this stuff? Who's going to be wearing the PPEs? And again, is it going to be, are you going to have students? Some schools have said all students have to wear masks. I think I saw that Brian in New York. Um, you know, they're saying, you know, students are going to have to wear a mask. Students are going to wear a mask. They're not going to do that. Um, and again, the whole science, you know, behind that is, is, is real. I, I don't think it's very clear. I mean, I, I just don't see that. Um, so, wow, it, it's just crazy. Sass to many wrote some lawyer thought that up that, that scheme. Yeah. So Sass to many, you're right. At this point forward, as schools put this stuff together, you're completely right. They are going to their, their lawyers and they're saying, um, what should we put together for a video? And the lawyers are putting this stuff together and um, and then schools are distributing or there's state organizations. The state school board organization has put together this template video and or you could adopt it, just you know, link it out or put your school logo at the start. That kind of type of stuff happens. But yeah, this is totally, to I mean, it's all CY, right? Cover your ass type of stuff. Um, but the reality is, you know, we saw one kid come into a building. That building probably was made, probably was made for two to 300 kids. So what happens? I mean, the parents, are they supposed to scatter the times that they drop off kids? What do you do for a fire drill? Everybody can leave. Just be six feet away. Everybody, everybody can leave. Yeah, we have our intruder. We have our intruder drill, but we can only have, uh, we have to stay eight feet apart in this room. So, um, you know, we've got, we've got to accommodate for that. It's just crazy, right? It's just insane. Just insane. Um, so, uh, Sass Too Many wrote, um, all you really need is for everyone to wear masks and have hand-washing monitors everywhere. Hand-washing monitors. And so, or Brian uh, wrote that. And Brian, it's interesting. Um, so, our good friend, Bacon Maldito. Bacon is going to be on the next uh, podcast as a guest. And, you know, we're going to be talking about the hundred billion dollars being proposed for contact tracers. So people who are going to trace this back to the individual person, it was Stan. Stan was the first person with the virus. But again, this is a huge liability for schools. What if they find out that one of their staff members um, was you know, traced back and this is the person? Are they Can they be sued now because, oh, they were interacting with students and they didn't have a mask on when they were reading you know, three little pigs or one of the students had it and that student didn't have a mask on. Well, what if the student didn't have a mask? You know, a student with disability kept ripping the mask off because it, autism is sensitive to the mask. Now, every, you know, this is a con. I mean, how are you going to deal with this stuff? How are you going to deal with bleachers? How are you going to do a game where you have a thousand, two thousand people in the bleachers when you can contact trace down to an individual person, cell phone records, data stuff like, oh, this stuff's all probably done. Legally, it's probably cooked. Sass to many as you wrote, it's probably it's it's probably a mess. Um, so Sass to many wrote, they should put up no virus allowed signs everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's just coming back to the 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 no gun zone, you know, laws, you know, which which had the no the no guns um, outside of outside of schools, but yeah, a no a no virus zone. But um, oh, it's it's just and you know the thing is too, we go back. I wrote the article. Um, 
a couple of years ago, it was back in 2016, MRSA, the staph bacteria, you know, was, was starting to show in quite a few areas of schools, you know, gymnasiums, weight rooms, fitness centers, but kids were getting this stuff. It's kind of like the flesh eating type bacteria. People were really concerned, but we didn't see anything ramp up close to this. Although, you know, it was happening in nursing homes, hospitals, stuff like that too. But this, this type of stuff is just wild. And think about that video too, everything I showed you, that's all now been changed in policy. There have been people working frantically, adopting and writing policies and putting this in place. These aren't temporary things. When things like this surface at a school, like I just showed you, that's all been vetted through policy. And to try to undo a policy is pretty difficult. So these are likely things to stay. Now, there's a reality component to this of how are kids and staff really going to adhere to this? Well, staff will probably adhere to it you know, pretty well. I mean, I'll get you to the routines, but the kids, again, you could have one kid come up to another kid or, you know, say good job, or they get within, you know, the six feet zone and they could, you know, get penalized. You know, you, here you, uh, you know, you get a, a token taken away today because, you know, you went into somebody's social distance zone and all of that type of stuff. You're going to have this, you're going to have all these crazy things they are called PBIS videos, positive behavioral interventions and supports. So they're videos, schools like this school I showed you put together to say, this is how we walk in the lunch line, you know, real orderly and da, 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 da. Now you're going to have these videos being produced just like the one I showed you, but it's going to be kids. Oh, we can't go out in the, the playground. So, you know, don't go out there before school. Don't go out there after school because we don't want to get the virus and stuff like you're going to brainwash these, these kids into this. And I say that because it's really dangerous, right? Um, we cannot have a society that perpetually lives six feet apart in covered mask. Um, we just can't have that. And we can't be communicating this out to kids um, that we, you know, we can't keep them them safe in the school. We can, we can completely, you know, sanitize, uh, you know, schools. If there is uh, an increase, um, you know, there can be temporary stays where kids aren't going to schools, but these permanent procedural changes like that are in that video, that's, that's absolutely crazy to think. But yet, Mike, again, I will tell you, in Wisconsin, in, in districts all across the country, schools right now are putting these types of videos together. Uh, if you're a parent, expect that you're going to get this. If not, at the end of this year, you'll get it before the start of the school year saying, hey, Brian, you know, hey, whatever. Here's, hey, Jim, here's what we're starting, you know, for, for this year. Don't worry. We're going to, you know, get the kids um, aware of it and all the new bus protocol too. Yeah. When you come on the bus, um, yeah, you can't, you can't, you know, grab the railing on the bus. Um, you know, don't do that. And if you do it, make sure you tell the bus driver so the bus driver can spray it down and, and wipe it down. And it's every other seats. And as you walk back, you know, don't be touching the seats and da 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 da. da and, you know, um, you're going to have all of these things and, and there's plexiglass now in between the, you know, the, the seats don't lean forward on the, the plexiglass and, um, it just, oh my God. I mean, but again, we have to have a question of does this mirror society? In some ways it kind of does, right? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, the Walmart now, the, the checkout people are in a little plexiglass kiosk as the people are at my um, post office and the bank you have to do through drive through. But for the most part, you know, no, I mean, this isn't the way that it is uh, this, this hyper controlled six feet in environment. And I hope we don't get there. Um, so let me go through the chat room one more time and I'll just do a summary. If you haven't already smashed that thumbs up button, smash it. I would appreciate that. Um, so, um, SAS to many, the trace act is not Orwellian or nothing. Yeah. So SAS to many is talking about the, the, this, this 
act being proposed, funded with $100 billion. And Bacon and I will talk about that in the next episode. But, you know, of hiring people. And again, again, when do we get to this permanent protocol for temporary event? But this thing of now we're going to hire, this will be your job. I mean, you could have a job starting next month and making whatever it is off, you know, government salary. I'm I'm paid $80,000 a year. What do you do? I'm a tracer. My job is I get notified of people who have tested, you know, positive or whatever. Then I call them and I interview them and I go through this protocol and then I interview other people and I go to their homes and then, you know, I do this and these will be jobs. These will be jobs. My God. I mean, you'll be a tracer. We'll have these jobs will be posted. People will be tracing. It's just, it's, it's crazy. And the technology already, and again, what do we get from this of being able to trace it down to this one person again it's a temporary event these are it, it just it, it i i don't know outside of giving up a lot of privacy rights and you know somebody's i again i told you my neighbor my neighbor um they were they were the whole family was quarantined he, he and his wife the kids um because they returned from a covid hotspot you know this was back what six seven weeks ago but when the department of health talked to him they said you're quarantined for 14 days and, um, you know, we're going to trace, we're going to figure out the people you interacted with and stuff like that, because they, they were staying again in this hotspot and they also stayed with people. Um, but it, it, anyway, but the thing that was eerie when they were telling this to me is they said, so I said, oh my God, so like, what, you had to give me your cell phone records or like you had it, you had to like give them, you know, places you went to stuff like that. They said, no, 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 no. They already had that. They already, they already had all that stuff. Of course. Right. They already have all of that stuff. So they didn't, they basically just told them, you know, you have to stay home, which they kind of did and kind of didn't. I didn't call and report that they weren't. I don't know if I supposed to, I wouldn't have done it, but, um, but yep, you know, fast food was delivering there. The post office was delivering there without gloves, just crazy. But this whole contact tracing. um, Yeah. And again, the schools now, there is not a school district out there, especially in America that doesn't realize that, oh my God, we could be identified as the source of an outbreak. It could be our kindergarten classroom. It could have been this student. It could have been this aide, this staff member, this kitchen person, this person on the bus. So now are you also doing surveillance? Are you putting in cameras everywhere? Who's watching this? So you can go back and make sure that your bus driver, make sure that the aide, make sure that the office person had a mask, had gloves on, had all of that, that everything was sanit. I mean, all of this stuff. Um, it is, you know, we think of all of this. And again, you're having to do this with less money, right? So any money that you're getting in grant dollars is probably going toward sanitizing or, you know, things. And the other um, money that you're getting is going to go toward virtual education platforms. Every, otherwise, you're not getting any money. Um, you're, you're getting a cut, you know, a 20% cut. But it is, it is absolutely wild. Um, so Bacon wrote, um, or Brian wrote, nothing like an eight-year-old dropping an engine and changing a timing belt and, and water pump. Wow. <laughs> Talking about apprenticeships in, in school for the trades. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Bacon wrote, man attacked by swarm of murder hornets dies from coronavirus. New York Times. This is, I guess it's the heading. All right. I saw that on Drudge also. Laugh out loud. Um, so uh, Brian wrote, we already had a society that lived apart and we're wearing masks. It's called the Wild West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Um Laugh out loud, coronavirus finally creating jobs, bacon. Yeah, so bacon, this is something we should talk about next week. We should actually look 
And anybody out there, email it to me, post it down below in the comments. If you find a job posting for a tracer or to work in some capacity of, you know, tracing virus, because again, there is a bill right now coming in into Congress, which would be a hundred billion dollars of funding for programs, um, you know, again, which would have, which would be staffed. Uh, maybe every state, possibly a county branch or whatever, which would have tracers. And it, what is a tracer? So uh, Bacon sent me a link to an article in Washington state. So a tracer, again, is somebody who, you know, comes to your house and, you know, you've tested positive for COVID-19 or you've been around people who have tested positive or you have antibodies or whatever. And they, they say, they interview you. They sit down, you know, who are you with? Where did you go? Whatever. And again, they probably have a lot of this information already just through the digital systems. But that is actually happening. These people are being assigned. They're not being reassigned. You know, these are Department of Health folks. These are like new positions, people being hired into these roles. So, yeah, I mean, hey, if you're, if, if you're looking, if you're good at interview skills, um, make sure you wear your protective gear, I guess. Um, SAS Too Many wrote, every crisis is now officially a power money grab. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's really, it's, it's I mean... Uh, you know, so for me, you know, I'm 48 and I talked, you know, with my parents, they're like, we never saw anything like this. I mean, and I'm seeing the stuff too. It's again, this power grab at, at state levels is power grab of, you know, we're going to shut down the, the state parks. And if you go in there, you know, we're going to be, you're going to be fined and all of this other stuff. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, where's the science people need to get this? You're going to punish people to, to go to the state parks yet. They can go to the grocery store and they can, I mean, but it is the, all of this crazy stuff. Uh, Sass Too Many wrote, uh, problem, reaction, solution. Yeah, um, the Mal report. Remember how we used to joke about the FBI listening to us on the phone? Yeah. <laughs> and who knows? Like, I, I, I'm sure that, you know, just, just like, remember you upload a, I uploaded a YouTube video um, a few ago and I had uh, Return of the Mac uh, playing by, by Mark Morrison for like seven seconds at the start. And it was like off on a speaker as I was talking. And I video got flagged, you know, like I uploaded it and five minutes later, you've got a strike on your, you know, or whatever you have to take it down. And I did, I had to I cut that section out, but who knows of everything that we produce now of just what's getting scanned and scrubbed and prioritized. So is this episode, you know, every time you say coronavirus or whatever, maybe it gets knocked down a level or level or level. So it just doesn't show up in, you know, searches or, or stuff like that. It just disappears. Um, uh, so Bacon wrote, man comes out from cave 85 years, immediately dies from coronavirus. Wow. Bacon, you know who that man would be? Atham. Atham would be that man, Atham Aldiqua, who is a caver in Washington state. And all oh, right, Brian wrote, um, this is why you need, uh, the new line of cell phone product, the trace me not box. It's a Faraday cage that prevents all tracing. Yeah. Faraday cage, you know, so the signals, uh, can't be, be tracked. So yeah, you know, secret government meetings, they would be in a room that would have this, this Faraday cage thing around it. So signals couldn't get, get in and out. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. And this whole thing too. So the school video I showed you a school video. The other thing is some of these schools are being um, told, well, they're marketed stuff right now. They're marketed bracelets. Well, the kids will wear a bracelet. They'll have a, a bracelet, like a Disney band. I mean, like, you know, that we got when we went to Disney, an RFID bracelet, everybody will wear them. And then um, we'll be able to identify, um, you know, different points of the, the day, you know, where they're at. If we have passive stations put up in school, here's a, you know, hey, don't worry. When kids come down for lunch, they'll pass a screener and, you know, one by one, and it'll automatically take their temperature, right? <laughs> 
and people are selling they're they're putting this stuff together and because they have their their band on it it immediately identifies who they are so we don't have to mess around with any of that all this stuff will be there and you're thinking well when will it be there it'll be there this fall it'll be there this fall schools will have it and why customer perceived value? We're keeping everybody safe. We're keeping your kids safe. We're keeping other kids safe, staff safe. That's why they're they're putting this out there. So, oh my God, is is absolutely absolutely crazy. So, Cameron, thanks for for being here later, Cameron. Um, and Sass Too Many wrote, uh, train the next generation that privacy doesn't exist. Yeah, because at this point, it's pretty much a given that private for young kids, privacy doesn't exist. And and again, like I said, for my neighbor of the, the access to their phone data and other data, you know, so they could be tracked, I mean, uh, or, or traced, right? And it all kind of, quote unquote, sounds good. So if you haven't already hit the like button, please hit it. If you haven't um, subscribed to the channel, please do it. Please share. Um, this is episode 134. So we have 134 episodes out there. A lot of guest interviews. Episode 135 will be our good friend, Bacon Maldito from the state of Washington, Bacon Maldito. So uh, that'll be recorded this upcoming week. Bacon and I are going to talk about um, the terms, right? So Bacon has been inventorying all of the new terms that have come about because of the coronavirus pandemic, such as social distancing, quarantine, life, PPE, six feet, N95, whatever. And he's, he's been adding up this, this list. So, you know, we have 15, 20 new terms, which are just part of the vernacular. And going through of, you know, again, two months ago, nobody thought about any of these things. They didn't exist. And now this is just part of our lexicon. This is just part of what we're, what we're dealing with. And it's really interesting. And Bacon has other things that, that he's pulling in kind of how these nuanced changes in society, which will always stick around. Like for all of us, we'll always understand N95. If somebody says N95, 10 years from now, Dave, N95. Oh yeah. It's a mask. It's a, a respiratory. It's a special mask. Um, social distance. Everybody will know social distancing. What is social distancing? And if who wants to be a millionaire? Six feet, nine feet, fifteen feet, one foot. Um, that's six feet. Six feet. Um, so it, I, 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 again, this this whole way that we've gone to a temporary event to adopt these permanent things, um, which I, I don't think will will ever be gone. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I gotta. I gotta think positive. All right. So everybody, if you, um, Hey, chess, thanks. Great show again. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, actually I, I do. So I do notes for the show. I've got three pages of notes over here on the left screen. I do a, a blog post. So if you go to safetyphd.com, which is my website, safetyphd.com, which you can also find, you know, through Twitter, but I'm not trying to sell you anything. Um, you know, there's nothing, you're not going to get, spammed with ads or anything like that. But every show is up there. Every blog post is up there. So I do uh, a 5,000 character, you know, or about a page, um, page and a half blog post for every show. And it's good to come back to that. It's good to, uh, you know, so if you're coming back, hey, you know, I did a show with uh, John Steele, episode 78 on uh, escaping Seattle. And John talks about, you know, all the stuff going on in Seattle. He also talks about when he worked as in the security industry and some of the backdoor tricks there is amazing stuff. But, um, but yeah, so just like I showed that prioritization matrix, you know, it's cool to have that. It's cool to bring this into your discussions as always continue to be a face validity person. Um, use the words I observed. Okay. I observed that you know, today at the grocery store, people weren't following the lines back and forth, but pretty much everything was in stock. I observed that, you know, the hospital 
it contacted us and they're starting elective procedures again. I observed whatever, you know, that the bank is having certain um, times when you can come in and schedule the time to actually walk into the bank. There's a big difference between saying something, saying I observed or I think, because a lot of people will just say, well, I think what they're doing is they're just taking off of the media or stuff like that. They haven't authentically um, perceived anything, right? A lot of that happened right away with the virus, but it still happens today. Like, I think, I think, I think, well, if you start off with, I observed, I observed this, I observed this. And then authentically in your area, you have that for me. I've, I've so many great people, Brian Bowden, you know, bacon, there's so many great people I can go out and I can contact you and I can say, Hey, um, you know, what is happening in your environment? And their member checks, they can say, I, Dave, I observe this, this is happening here. I observe this. It's it just, it's a more intellectual position to function from. You're already intellectual, um, folks. I mean, you know, uh, chess asked too many, Brian, uh, Jim, Bacon. I mean, I really appreciate you. You, you, you interact with this at a real high level of, um, uh, it, it, it just resonates, you know, your high IQ folks. So that's why I love doing this. I, I love doing this because you, you pull, you add to this, you, you take from this. Um, but you know, again, you do that. You communicate that out to people. Be that leadership for people using those terms like I observe. People start picking up on that. They'll be like, hey, when I talk to Brian and we talk about like what's going on, Brian will say, you know, something Brian says, he says like I observed. You know what? Bacon, when Bacon talks about this stuff, he's like, I observed this. I, I observed that Nick Shulaner was at Dismore's IGA for seven hours in the toilet paper aisle, keeping an eye on things. And then he got some markdown seafood. I observed that. So it, it's put yourself in that elevated position. I observed. So, hey, everybody, this is your good friend, the safety doc, Dr. David Prone, down here in the North Star Recording Studio. If you haven't bought this book, think about it. It's hard copy. It's a hell of a book. Chaos Theory, Everything, School of Airs. It's a playoff of William Shakespeare, good friend Bill Shakespeare's um, um, Comedy of Airs. That's where the title came from, actually. So School of Airs is a playoff of, of Comedy of Airs with Bill Shakespeare. But um, thank you so much. Um, I will get this one out. And yeah, Brian, I need a, a roundtable podcast. I'm, I'm actually working on an OBS system um, with Jim. And I'm going to... to it kind of get this so I can have multiple people. Um, I'm a little bit limited right now because I've got some issues with multiple people. Uh, the The system crashes. It just it doesn't it doesn't work. So I'm going to be doing some updates down here in time to the studio, and then you know bringing in kind of like a streamyard approach. Um, so if those of you you know who watch Masculine Geek, um, yeah, OBS to Skype. So Brian, yeah, anybody who wants to help me out with that, DM me. <laughs> because I do need to do that. Um, and also like with my camcorder, I, I need to look into the ability to set up, you know, just the, the camcorder um, and to use that. But yeah, OBS, OBS to Skype. But I would I would love, I would doing this, love doing this. And yeah, I, I have StreamYard, but um, unfortunately when I do multiple uh, shows, multiple people on StreamYard, it crashes. And it, it's something with my system because other people don't have that. So I'm going to have to get that worked out. But um, again, thanks. Um, and everybody take care again. We have, um, we have snow, uh, coming in tonight. So this is the latest snow in 15 years. So it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, take care of yourself, everybody. This is the safety. Oh God, we got to do this here before the end of the, the end of the show. All right. This is, this is, this is bacon. This is for you. Whoa, whoa. We're dodging. We're, we're, we're going to dodge. We're, this is, whoa, whoa. All right, the virus just uh, just showed up on screen, man. That's scary stuff. So, 
All right, everybody, this is your good friend, Dr. David Prone, down here in the North Star Recording Studio. Take care, stay safe, and uh, check out. We're going to be doing the next few days, episode 135 with our good friend, Bacon Maldito. That is going to be live. It's going to be lit. Take care, everybody. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.